for that. This morning we're we're really blessed. We've got uh, Brother Gerald Durstein with us. Actually, I think it's even Doctor, Doctor Pastor Brother Gerald. How does all that happen? I'm not sure how that happens. But Gerald is going to come and share with us this morning. So why don't we uh, give him a hand and uh, come on up here and share with us, Gerald? If you have a loose chair somewhere, you might have it close by. Just one. Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for coming. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for allowing me to come into this sanctuary. Are you ready for something a little different? Would I surprise some of you if I let you know that I'm the founder of this church? It hit my mind as I sat down here this morning. For your information, I am a missionary. And this church is the result of a missionary that came all the way from near Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, back in 1951 and moved up here to Minnesota to do missionary work. And while I was doing missionary work with the Indians up at Strawberry Lake, a lot of people from the Detroit Lakes area would come up to our meetings. And they often said, boy, I wish we had a church in Detroit Lakes. And so one day, the vision came to me that there should be a church down here. And if you remember the first pastor, Jim Erb, Pastor Jim Erb, he's still alive. And we ordained him up at Strawberry Lake at Christian Retreat. And he came down here, rented some buildings for a couple of years from building to building, having church services here in Detroit Lakes area, till finally they had enough congregation to decide to buy some land and build the building. You know, the building is not the church. You are the church. People are the church. But anyway, I want to let you know that, that I'm still a missionary, even though I'm almost 92 years old now. And that's why I think it's amazing that your pastor allows a 92-year-old man come up and talk on a Sunday morning. But I got a lot of stuff to talk about because you're alive. There's a lot, of, a lot of people in our world right now that need you desperately because God has made you a very unusual person. You know that you are actually the house of God? I know we're told that we come into the church building, this is the house of God. No. For real, people is what God chose to be his temple, to be his house. When, God, when, when people meet you, they have an opportunity to find out what God is like. Because people like you that are Christians believe that God dwells in you. Don't you believe that? Well, God chose you, your body, to be his house. That's where he dwells. And when you come into this building, God comes in this building too because he's already in you. Isn't that exciting? I think that's exciting to understand that. So I'll talk a little bit more about that yet before I'm done here. Uh, there's something that has come to my mind recently. You know, when you get to my age, you have a lot of time to, to sit and meditate and think. And while I'm thinking, things come to my mind, and I'm also, I read the scriptures, and things come to my understanding, which I didn't understand before. And there's one verse that stood out some days ago, found in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. 
And so I began to search, I'd search more scriptures about this. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. It's about the appearing of the Lord. You ever stop and think that the scripture says that you should be looking for the appearing of the Lord? Not the return. Yes, the return too. But there's a difference between the appearing of the Lord and the return of the Lord. We're all expecting the return of Jesus. But in Colossians 3 and verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. I don't want to get in that now. I want to say something else first. I'm still talking about me being a missionary. My missionary work is not only in Minnesota, but it's all over the world. And you are part of my missionary work. Most of you probably don't know that 10% of the total amount of your money that you give to this church is sent to me as a missionary. And I have a, I'm involved in the work in the Middle East in Israel. I'm heavily involved over in Israel and in the, in, in the country of Syria. And because I'm involved there with your money, that means you are involved. And I felt this morning I should tell you where your money is going. We have a lot of churches in Syria. Syria had been in war for quite some time now. And they've lost many hundreds of thousands of people that have been killed in, in the war. But on the other hand, we have churches all over Syria. The churches are called House of Blessing churches, established by a man named Tiberi, who used to be a Muslim that lived in Jerusalem. Back in 1980, I led him to the Lord when I was visiting Israel on one of my 54 trips that I've been to Israel over the past almost 50 years. And anyway, uh, he's opened up many churches, and now he established a school in Damascus, Syria. Damascus is the capital city of Syria. And he has trained hundreds and hundreds of Muslim men to become Christians and become ministers as a Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they've been doing a tremendous work all over Syria, training former Muslims about Jesus. And then they go into other countries like Iraq and Kurdistan and Iran. And they've established churches that believe like you believe here. Well, because of me. Well, really not me, but because of Jesus. If it wouldn't have been for Jesus, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But I want you to know where's, where your money is going that you give to this missionary because every month I send at least almost $10,000 a month to those countries, Israel, Syria, and the Middle East. And, we've, and we have influenced hundreds of thousands of people. People all over the Middle East know about us. They know about our Christian retreat work in Florida and in Minnesota, and they pray for us. In fact, let me tell you something kind of gruesome. They, they would tell me when they would get bombed, I get telephone calls from Syria every, every two weeks. They call me up on telephone, and if I don't get a telephone call, I get, get e email information what's going on. And sometimes so many people are killed in a village by the bombs that the Syrians and the Russian planes and the American planes, when they get to fighting in Syria. 
many hundreds of people, literally in the thousands, get killed. And, they're, and, and, and many of them are laying on the ground. But thanks to the Christians that got converted from Islam, from, from being a Muslim, they have compassion. And they let me know that they need extra money, but thanks to part of your money, you're not the only ones that give money for those countries. I get money from other churches too to establish that amount of money that we send over there. But they then asked me if it's all right if they could rent a tractor with some of the money I sent to them. Because they said nobody buries the dead bodies. And so they use a tractor that has a scoop in the front and they dig, they dig a, a trench and then they scoop up the dead bodies and push them in the trench and then cover them back up again with the ground. I mean, literally hundreds of them like this. This is going on all the time while we're enjoying McDonald's up here and Dairy Queen and we enjoy all these nice places where we can eat food and enjoy our homes. But over there, they're in a war. And my director, Tiberi himself, has been bombed and he almost was killed and he's on a wheelchair now for the past five years doing his work teaching and training still Muslims. How did he learn all this? When I led him to the Lord Jesus as a missionary way back in 1980, I invited him to come to Florida and take our school and get trained. And for, t for 10 weeks, he was in our IOM school and he went back to the Middle East and now he's in Jordan. I'm sorry, he's in uh, Syria doing the same thing that he learned in Florida as an IOM student, which Barry showed at one time was a director of one of those schools up at Strawberry Lake for, many, for a few years, IOM. So we, we train Christians how to do the work of Jesus, not just believe about the work of Jesus, but how to do what Jesus said we can do. I mean, that's what makes Christianity exciting. If, you, if you're not doing it, it can become boring. You end up just going to church. For what? I don't know. <laughs> Hope something good's going to happen someday. They tell me it will. So if you're not a doer of the word, you can easily get bored and you're probably going to want to fly away. Like we sang a little earlier today. I'll fly away. Oh, I'll wonder where those people think they're going. If, they, if I really get serious about it, they tell me they expect to see God. They're going to wherever God's looking. They're not sure where he's located, but they're going to fly away someday and they hope they're going to meet God. Well, I got good news for those kind of people. You can actually meet God in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. The same God. There's not two of them. It's not God's older brother that's up there and his younger brother down here now. It's not two gods. It's just one God. But anyway, that's another, that's another, that's another message. But anyway, I get, in, I, I, I get kind of caught up with some of this stuff. When you get old enough, you wonder some of the things that we've been taught are so traditional and it becomes a thing that we believe about, but we're not sure what it means. But this, this come back now to Colossians 3 and verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, now we agree with that as Christians, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you, that's us right here in Minnesota, then shall you also appear with him in glory. That almost sounds like he's talking about while we're still here in this world, when, he, when this was written. When Christ, who is our life, because it's now Christ is my life, I'm my Christian, 
So Christ is in me, I have his life in me. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, how does he appear? I know he's going to come back someday. He's going to come back. We're going to see him. Then he says, then you shall also appear with him in glory. So, so I wondered about that. You mean Christ can appear to me while I'm still in this physical body in the United States of America where I go to church? Can he appear to me? The answer to that is yes, he does. And I've been studying this for some weeks about how he appears to us. But for him to appear to you, you've got to understand how, how he looks. Many of us are still looking for a Christ that may be wearing trousers, or wearing real flashy shoes, and by this time his hair turned gray. It's been 2,000 years since he was on this earth, you know. And so he must be getting old by now. But I want you to understand that that's not what Jesus Christ looks like today. He doesn't look like a human. He's not a human anymore. He went to heaven. He's with his father. He's like he was before he ever made the earth. Before he ever heard about you or even knew you, although he knew you before the earth was formed. Come on, Durstein, you're getting too far out. <laughs> no, I read that in Ephesians chapter 1. That actually God knew you, that are Christians, before he actually formed the earth. Let me read that verse to you. It's Ephesians chapter 1. Now therefore, I think I have it here, yeah. Now therefore, no, no, it, it's, it's chapter 2 and verse 19. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, who are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. He's talking about people. I mean, years ago, God used to have a building called the temple where the, 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 the Israeli priests would do their work, but God changed that since Jesus shed his blood on the cross because God had in mind he wanted to have a temple not made with man's hands. He wanted to have a temple that he was going to make. And so he chose each one of you to be part of the building. Know ye not, know ye not, ye are the temple. We used to sing that song. Know ye not, know ye not, ye are the temple. You hear that song before? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of God. God dwells in people's bodies today. And each one of us is a member of the body of Christ. In fact, the corporate body is the church. We're part of the body of Christ. Well, if that's true, the scriptures also say that Jesus Christ is the head and we are his body. If that's true, that means we're actually in Christ while at the same time Christ can be in us. Will you accept that? Is that, is that, is that, too, is that too, too spiritual? I mean, Christ can be in you, and you can be in Christ at the same time. It's kind of like the air. You can be in oxygen, 
At the same time, oxygen can be inside of you. I don't care how fast you run, you can't outbeat the oxygen. It'll be where you're going before you get there. I mean the oxygen, air, wind. Did you know the Bible kind of compares wind with God? Wind bloweth where it listeth, and you can hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or how far it's going to go. Then he says, so are they which are born of the Spirit of God. That's in John chapter 3. The wind comes and goes. You can hear it, but you don't know where it's going or even where it came from, for sure. So are people that are born again, becoming Christians. They're like the wind. You know why? Why the wind and God are pretty much the same? God is omnipresent. Wind and air is everywhere you breathe. No matter how fast you go, you're going to jet plane and try to get there before the wind gets there, but you won't get there before the wind gets there if you're still breathing. It's already been there before you got there. Does that sound right? Help me out, Pastor. When you get older, the ears get smaller. <laughs> Part of that's cut off, in fact, over here on my left side. Are you still here? Okay, I'm still here. I got back again. But talking about appearing of the Lord, let me give you a second scripture on that. A scripture in Hebrews 9 and verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that love, that love him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, salvation and Christ are synonymous. You don't have salvation without Jesus Christ. But this scripture implies that Jesus Christ is your salvation. I'm going to get a little deep here a little bit for a while. Let me read that again. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When I read these scriptures, I began to wonder, have I been looking for the appearing of Christ? I've been, I've been hoping for the return of Jesus, but I could honestly say I don't think I was actually looking for the appearing of him. So I began to wonder, what does appear actually mean? So I looked it up in the dictionary and what the word appear actually means. And I have it written down here if I can find it right now. It's, it's, the, it's, it's, an, it's the apprehension of the mind that Jesus can appear to you. Anyway, that became so real to me, I began to uh, look all the scriptures up I could find about the appearing of the Lord because I wanted to be sure that, that if that's possible, I'd like to see him appear. Well, I'm still here paying taxes, eating hamburgers because the scripture seems to imply that's possible, that you can actually 
witness the appearing of the Lord while you still live in Minnesota. You don't have to physically die and go to some other planet. I mean, that we, we can see him someday in that manner, but right now it's possible to see, have the appearing of the Lord. Here's some more scripture I want to give about the appearing. Let me jot it down here. There's a scripture in, uh, thank you, Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. That caught my attention. Do I love his appearing? How can I love his appearing if I'm not sure what that means? What is his appearing? Does he actually appear? And, 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 and if he does appear, how can I know he's appearing? Well, I've, I got the answer for that now because I was looking it up, finding out what, the, what that actually all means. But here's what the dictionary says about appearing means. It means to become visible to the apprehension of the mind, to become obvious, to become manifest. In other words, if it appears, if anything appears, in your mind, you actually believe you're seeing it. Does that sound right? If it's appearing, you can actually believe you're, you're witnessing it. It's obvious. It's manifesting to you. But it may not be looking exactly like what you thought it was going to be. Like when, when I'm going to looking forward to seeing Jesus return, I think he's going to look like a man when he returns. But he hasn't returned yet. Yet the Bible does say those that look for him, he can appear the second time to those that look for him. So I started praying about that. I said, Lord, how does one expect the appearing of the Lord? Then he took me to John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Which means the script. Well, we were always taught the Bible is God's Word. That's true. His holy scriptures are God's Word. And then it was about two years ago when I actually had an experience in my home where I was reading the Bible in the book of St. John and something came all over me and just somehow made me see a whole new dimension or an awareness of God's presence and his word becoming alive to me. And since that time, scripture had just opened up to me over and over again in a great way. And... I wondered what that was. Now I know it was an appearing of the Lord that happened to me. And I want to show you something in the scripture in John, chapter 14, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This caught my attention several years ago. Now, this is going to become interesting eventually. I know it's hard to understand where I'm at right now. But in John, 4, John chapter 13, Peter was having a problem with Jesus because Peter was saying, I'm going to be leaving you, fellas. He told the disciples that. And where I'm going, you can't go with me. And that bothered Peter. And in chapter 13, I'll read that to you. 
and John. You have to write Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Here we go. And so Peter said to Jesus, where are you going? So we're trying to find John. Here, is it. Here we go. John 13. So it says, Simon Peter said to, to him, Lord, whither goest thou? Where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. That, that I thought, really? He couldn't follow him. I, I knew this as a reference to the fact that Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. And he knew that was coming. And so I understood that too. But so I kept on reading until I got to chapter 14 of John. And so here Jesus told the same disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Okay, so they were believing in Jesus. They were with him. Then he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, oh, now he's going somewhere. He's telling him, I'm going to go. But he told Peter, where I'm going now, you cannot follow me now, but you shall later. And I thought, when does that later happen? When can we follow Jesus later? So he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. For many years, I used to always hear the preachers say, in heaven, we're going to have a beautiful big mansion. And I used to sit and I wonder, how come we got to have a roof over our head? Because I understand there's not going to be no night there. And we don't have to go to bed in heaven. Because there's going to be light all the time. There's not going to be no thunderstorms. There's not going to be no snowstorms. You don't have to have, have it heated. You don't have to have any bathrooms. You don't have to, be, have to go to the toilet, you know, keep the bathroom clean. And if you're going to have a big mansion, you've got to have a lot of bathrooms and bedrooms. And I, that just didn't seem to match. And then one day I heard a preacher that's a theologian. He said, that word mansions is not a proper word there. It should say, place, in my father's house are many places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Well, now I've begun to see, oh, I remember when I was a child in church in Sunday school, we'd sing a song, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay. You know, we, we were actually told that Jesus could come into our heart. I mean, a real Jesus. And then we were told he even can stay, he would stay there. Now my question is, do you believe that today? And if he's staying in your heart, did you ever wonder what he's doing there? Is he doing anything? I mean, is, is he alive if he's in your heart? Or is it just a thing happening to come in and you hope it stays there until you die and he'll take you, fly away, get out of here? What, what, what if he stays alive in you? Maybe, maybe when you got saved, that's when you came into a new place. When you became born again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Maybe that's a place. Maybe we already got into a place with God when we became a Christian. Maybe that's why we enjoy coming to church so much every Sunday. Because Jesus in us encourages us to come and hear more of his word. And that, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, what, what if when you get saved, become a Christian, you come into another dimension? I think it's called a place of faith. It's a place of faith. A faith in God. It, it, it's, it's an awareness that God is in your life now. Well, you didn't have that before. So that can be a place where you're still in Minnesota. I mean, I got saved in Pennsylvania, became a Christian, and God spoke to me to leave Pennsylvania and come to Minnesota and be a missionary. And as a result, we have, as a result, we have a church here in Detroit Lakes. We have other churches too besides this one in the area and that got started because of my being a missionary. But I'm convinced now that when a person gets saved and you come into a born-again relationship with God and you become a son, a child of God, you came into a new place. It's a mansion in your father's house. The father's house is the church. The body of Christ is his temple. That's his house. Now, I'm saying all this to, to get you thinking because God wants you to start seeing spiritually that you are a very special, peculiar people in the world today because you are the carrier of the world's problems. You're, you're the answer. You're the car you carry the answer to your neighbor's hurts. The people that, that come to you and complain, family members or friends, people on the job, whoever you meet, they complain, they're upset, they're scared, they're fearful. But you hold the answer to their problem because you are the carrier of Jesus. In one sense, you're the closest to Jesus those heathen people ever get when they meet you because you're part of his body. I mean, I'm starting to get excited now. When I start thinking about it myself, it's hard to believe that I'm part of the body of Jesus, that actually God dwells inside of me. I mean, the real God. There's not more than one. There's only one God. And that wherever I go, the presence of God is with me. Maybe that's why some people get disturbed when they meet me. Other people like being close to me. But some people don't like to get too close to me. I bother some people. I understand that now. It's not me they're bothered by, but it's the presence of God in me and the presence of God in you because you are God's temple. There's a lot of people in our world right now, especially in America, that don't like God. They're mad. They're angry. And they're so angry, they're willing to even accept a different kind of a country than what we used to have. They don't even like Christians anymore, some people in America. And I found a scripture in Corinthians. Let me turn to that for you. In Corinthians, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, talking to Christian believers, it says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you? 
except you be a reprobate. Except you be a reprobate. And a reprobate, what in the world is a reprobate? Did you ever hear of reprobates? Are you a reprobate? That's a bad word. But that bothered me when I read that. I understand, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. That means, are you really believing that you're walking with God? That you are the temple of God? Are you in the faith of God? I know today I'm in the faith of God. I know it. I love being in the faith of God. I examine myself many times. Know you not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you? How can Jesus Christ be inside of a people? I mean, I'm a, I'm a human. And Jesus Christ was a human when he walked on the earth as a man. And, and now I'm taught he can come into my heart. Well, a human don't come into my heart, but his spirit does. The same way that Jesus was before the worlds were even framed. His spirit, spirit of Jesus, spirit of the Father, spirit of the Holy Spirit can come inside of a human. And when he comes inside of you, you can know that it's Jesus in you. And now I learn that he is in this world today in the form of his word. This is, why, this is why preachers encourage Christians to read the Bible. When you read the Bible, you're reading God's word. But in John 1, 1, the Bible verse says, in the beginning, what's the word? I understand that because I remember the, when the world were framed, when God created the earth, God said, let there be light. And light was formed. Let us make man. Then he made Adam. And he made Eve out of the earth. He's a creator. But he spoke everything with his words. words. God spoke. But God was not a man. God was God. He's a spirit. And, and Jesus was with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Now we learn that God had in mind, wherever he was, he came to the earth to show people how we could live, and he showed us the way. And then Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And now I learn that this Jesus who said he was the way, the truth, and the life can come inside of me and influence me and cause me to do what he did. And what he was able to do, now he says, I can do it in his name. And so now I, 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 I try it, and I do it, and lo and behold, a lot of that stuff happens. Whoa, talk about interesting. That gets very interesting and exciting when you start seeing things change when you speak a word. You declare a word, decree a word, and then things happen. Now, you can do this, but you've got to think that way. You've got to quit thinking you're a Christian, going to church and be a good member, so if you're faithful, by the time you die, you're going to go to some other planet called heaven. Come on, it's not that way. No, no, it's much better than that. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord. I lift your name on high. The God of heaven came from heaven to Minnesota to show us the way, and he made it easier. He just said, I'm going to come inside of those people, and I'm going to be the way in them. Whoa! Look for him. 
He'll appear to you if you look for him. Well, let me explain to you what the glory of God is. When you read the Bible and when you come to church and you hear Pastor Tim or some other speaker speaking and say something, whoa, I never saw that before. Whoa, that's interesting. And sometimes a preacher says something where you read the Bible and all of a sudden you understand it. Oh, it made you happy. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You know, when you got happy, another word for happiness is joy. And when you experience joy, you're experiencing the appearing of the Lord. And that's also part of God's glory. God, in his presence, is fullness of joy, the Bible says. So when you feel joy coming from the word or from the preacher preaching the word, you just experience a measure of God's glory. Or you actually had an appearing of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. I mean, that's good. <laughs> Are you all still listening? I'm not quite done, almost done. I'll never get done. I never get done with it. When you preach the word, the word is eternal. It just keeps going. One leads to another thing, and it's beautiful. But I want you to understand the word reprobate now. I'll try to clo close with this. I used to wonder, why are people in America so dumb? I mean, talk about dumb. I even call them stupid on television. How can you be? And they're actually mayors of big cities. And they're governors of whole states in America. They must have gone through at least eight grades in school, maybe 12 grades in school. But they tell me they even went to college. Well, what did you learn? And here, they don't want police anymore after criminals kill other people and they shoot them and they're smashing up stores, smashing in windows. We don't need no police. No police. I go, what? You gotta be kidding. If you ever need police, you need them now. No, no, we, uh, no, we don't want them to get paid no money. We don't want police. I said, you must, don't you know what's going on? Don't you watch television? They smash store windows. They stole the products out of the stores. They shoot people. They kill people. And some of them even don't want prisons anymore. We're going to open the prison door and let all the criminals out. Whoa! How dumb can you get? I mean, that's why we have police to keep law and order. We're a country of law and order. I, I, that bothered me. And I pray about that. God, what's going on? That's when he showed me that scripture about people becoming reprobate. Ah! So I studied the word reprobate, and Unger's Dictionary says a reprobate person, it's a blinded mind which no longer can be enabled to judge. They're unapproved. They cannot, they're not capable of re reasoning, which means if a person chooses hatred or they, they choose uh, not wanting God, See, God is love. God is an absolute. God always, that's what we believe. Uh, some people don't believe in God. There is no God. I am God. I want it my way. I got to have it the way I want it. And there's a lot of people that agree with them. Yeah, I like, it that, I, I like that idea too. I like it the way I want it. Well, then you better believe the way we are. And we're going to get the way we want it. We're going to get rid of those people that talk about this Bible and about this God, about Christianity. That's been a, a terrible blight on our country for so many years from the very beginning, they're saying. But anyway, if you choose to deny God, you're choosing to deny love. 
And if you have no love in your system, you would not have the ability to be able to reason between good and wrong, good and bad, right or wrong. You're just going to want it the way you want it. That's the way we were when we were all heathens. Before you knew God, there were not love in your life, so you couldn't forgive. You wouldn't want to forgive. You want to retaliate. You want to fight back. So we're having a lot of people in our world today that don't want to understand how to reason. They're not, they're not even capable of reasoning. According to, to the dictionary, it says, a, 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 a person that's reprobate is a blinded mind, one that no longer is capable of judging. You can't judge between what's right or what's wrong. Because with their confession, they're saying they don't like, they don't want God, they don't believe in God, they don't like Christians, they don't believe in the law. We're going to change everything the way we want it. It sounds kind of like the devil, doesn't it? It sounds pretty much like Satan. But that's the kind of society you and I are living in today. And it's not going to get better before it gets worse. But you are people that can understand this. But people that have not gone, that do not go to church, that do not read the Bible, that do not agree with God or don't believe in God, they cannot understand this. They would not believe the word reprobate means what it says. But it's in your Bible, in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, and also in Romans 1. Let me read what it says in Romans 1. The reprobate comes up again. I found that in the Bible. Romans chapter 1. Can you all say the word reprobate? Reprobate. Say it again. Reprobate. Don't ever become a reprobate. Romans chapter 1. Here it is. It's, it's the 28th verse in Romans 1. And he's talking about the people back in the time of the Apostle Paul. And they, they were very wicked. And even they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness and names all kinds of sins after that. If you were the reprobate mind, don't mind doing wrong. In fact, we have people in America that really don't want America anymore. They don't even want freedom. Any. They're not even sure what freedom is. They just want whatever they want. And it's, it's really sad. But you're living in that kind of society. But while that gets worse, hear me now. While that gets worse, your light shines brighter. Your light's going to be more effective as a Christian. Try to understand that. While darkness gets darker, light gets brighter in a darker room. Isn't that right? It doesn't even take a very big light to show light in a real dark room. If you use one candle, it can produce a lot of light in a dark room. But each one of you are a light in this world. Try to understand that. You carry the Spirit of God. You carry what the world needs, what the world is longing for but don't know what it is. But you are the carrier of their answer. That's, now, let me, let me close with this thought. To, to become amplified in a godly way, you've got to understand what God is, what God is like. 
God is like the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, gentleness, patience, all those nine virtues. They describe the character of God. When you became a born-again believer, you welcomed God into your life. When God came into your life, this is what came in. God's love came in. It's there now. Say, thank you, Jesus. That's right. And, and the joy of the Lord came in. Say, thank you, Jesus. And the peace of God came in. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You heard that song too, haven't you? The joy of the Lord. We got the joy. We got the peace. We got the love. That's what God is like in character, and that's what's in you now. Yes. Woo! Woo! Even at 92, it's still there. <laughs> no wonder when they go to the bank, they say, you're so different. What's different? I had an officer down in Florida, Wells Fargo Bank. It's, it's, it's a lady. I do some business with her, and she got to like me for some reason. Now I'm going to come in the bank. She always comes out of her office, and one she just walks right up to me when I'm at the teller window, and I'll, she says, I got to have what you got. I said, lady, you're going to get it. And I gave her my book, Falling the Fire. I'm giving her tapes, videos, DVDs, and she's looking at them. She says, there's something about you. I said, I know what it is. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. I just know it. Because Jesus attracts people. I don't. But the spirit in me does. Understand that spirit's in you. You don't have to be a preacher for this to work. You just read the, read the scriptures. Read the Bible. And when Jesus appears to you and you get blessed, just say, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I mean, you're that kind of people. There's a whole world out there waiting for you to manifest. <laughs> really? They're waiting on you. I don't know how to do it. You don't have to know how to do it. You just do it anyway. There's, no, there's nobody does it right. You can't do it right in the eyes of God. You know why? Because God doesn't do anything wrong. Everything God does, it's always perfect. He doesn't do anything right, doesn't do anything wrong. But all God's looking for is obedience. Just do it. If you do it, you can only get better at it. If you're not doing it good, somebody will tell you about it. It kind of embarrasses you, and then you'll try it different the next time. I mean, ask me, I know. I've been around a few years. And you can only get better at it if you will do it. Just do it. Can you hear me? Did I say that loud enough? Hallelujah. And even saying that made me happy. Because the, the, I just experienced a little bit of the glory of the Lord when I said that. When you say the right thing to other people, you feel good about it. Did you ever get happy and you wonder why you were happy? That happens to me every once in a while. I find myself starting to laugh and I get so happy and I wonder why. Can I tell you one more thing? 
I still got five minutes, uh, ten minutes yet. <laughs> but anyway, I lost my first wife. She, I didn't really lose her. She went to heaven already. I was married to her for 67 years, and uh, I was just dreading the memorial. We were going to have a funeral. I knew her body was going to be in a casket in front of the church. There would be hundreds of people going to be there. My family is going to be there. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I dread that day because I was afraid I might cry because I cried sometime during the week before that day. I knew that grandchildren were going to be there, my family is going to be there, and a lot of relatives and friends are going to be there, and I don't want to cry in front of them. I didn't like that day coming. I dreaded that day. But you know what happened? Two o'clock in the morning of that day, I got awake laughing. <laughs> I just laughing, boy, laughing out loud in my bed, all alone in my house. No wife, nobody else in the in the house, just me all alone. And I'm happy, laughing to beat the band. I mean, just laughing. I was so loud. I thought, oh my goodness, the neighbors might hear me. Huh? Why am I happy? And this is that day. I'm not supposed to be happy. This is my sad day, but I'm happy. Are you all still listening? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, after I finally contained myself, quit laughing, I heard the words of God real clear. It said, Beulah, your wife did not pass away and die a week ago as you thought. Beulah, your wife, she died 66 and a half years ago when she became born again. Beulah, your wife fell asleep a week ago. Then that came again the second time, and it came the third time, and the fourth time got louder every time. Then he said, you must tell the people that come to the viewing, not the viewing, but the, 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 the memorial, tell them all what I'm telling you now. And since that time, I'm telling a lot of people wherever I go. When you became born again, that's when you actually died. Come on, Tim, cheer up. Don't have to look. <laughs> You're already dead. When you get born again, that's when we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet it's not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Hey, that's good news. Only people like you can understand that. If you understand that, don't look forward to a better day. The better day is with you now. The better day is the one who is the creator. His name is Jesus. He's the better day. He's always with you. Learn to say these words. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Say it over and over again until you get in the habit of saying thank you, Jesus. It'll make you different. It'll make, I did, I, I made myself get in the habit of praising God at home, not just in church when you're singing songs, but at home or on the, when you're in your car. And by the way, do it loud. And if you're in your car, be sure your windows are up, though, <laughs> because somebody might hear you outside. Uh, but hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Last year, when I came into Minnesota, I think I told you that when I was here last year, 
I fell on my face in Pennsylvania. I was preaching in a church one night, and it was after 10 o'clock, I was late, and I was going out the front door of the church, and they had a step, and I had my hands full of books and stuff in my hand, and I forgot about the step. I stepped out there, pretty deep step, and I fell right into the air, and I went right face down under cement. Woo! First thing I heard was, thank you, Jesus, my wife, Shirley. She shouted, thank you, Jesus. And there was a doctor down in the basement, and there was a nurse, and they came up, and they saw me laying on the cement, and they thought I must have got a concussion or what, and they kept trying to say, say words, say these words, say that word. They wanted to see if I was going to be okay, if something went wrong with my mind or something. I just kept saying, thank you, Jesus, I'm all right. And she kept saying, you know, he, he's going to be okay. But they wrapped up my, it looked like I went through an automobile wreck. They had me all wrapped up. With my, they were taking me to the hospital. They said, no, no, I'm okay. I'm just got to go home and take a nap, take a good sleep. I'll be all right by tomorrow morning. And I was. But I had a black and blue face for the next couple of weeks. I mean, my eyes were all black and blue. My whole, I went to church after church on my way up here that time, and they saw a black and blue face, Gerald Durstein. They said, well, you sound the same. You just don't look like you used to look. I, I, I know that. But anyway, are you getting anything from this talk? I honestly, I didn't get done, but I'm going to finish, I think. And uh, it's so good. There's so much good in this. And you have, this, you have the same thing, but you've got to start somewhere. Start talking about what you already know. If you're afraid to talk to people, talk to your dog or your cat. See what you know. If you don't have a dog or a cat, go to your window where you have curtains. Talk to your curtains. Say it. Say what you think you believe, what you know. Talk it so your ears hear you say it. That's going to solidify it. That's going to establish it in you. Only what you confess is what you become. If you don't talk it, you won't become it. You're going to believe, well, I'm still the same old guy. Nothing happens to me. I'm always the same. No, no, you've got to confess with your lips. Say it, and you, then you're doing the godly thing, and you become what you say. But you'll find somebody you can talk to. They won't mind. Be willing to admit you don't know much. I often tell people that. I don't know much, but the little bit that I know excites me, though. One more thing. I close with this. I like to tell people, too, I tell church people, you don't really have to be nice to me. No, you really don't have to. If you think I'm a nice guy, everything in life that you think about me came as a gift from God to me. I didn't earn it. God gave it to me because of his grace. It's a gift. But I'm required to be nice to you, though. But tell you something, if you are nice to me, God will bless you for it. I know that. But you don't have to from my point of view. You don't have to be nice to me. But I do have to be nice to you, though. I'm required by God to share what God gave me. And that's what I'm doing. Is that okay, Tim? You don't have to be nice to me, but God will bless you if you are, though. <laughs> I'm required to be nice to you, though. Father, thank you for letting me share these words of these wonderful people that are missionaries. They're affecting and influencing the Middle East. They're affecting the world. And I thank you, Father, you allowed me to share what you put upon my heart this morning. And we want to look for your appearing. And when you appear, well, I know we'll get excited for that. And we thank you for your presence, for your word. 
And we ask you, Lord, solidify it, establish it inside of us, and make us not to be the way we were, but help us to be the way you want us to become. We want to become what you want us to be. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. That's so good. Thank you. God bless you.